Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Hannah Parrish is a strong voice for women's mountain biking and director of international strategy and business operations for Aura Ring. Her love for the outdoors started young with multi-day canoe trips with her family to finding a love for mountain biking competitively. When she's not rocking the trails, her empathy and compassion is shown through leadership at Aura Ring, the company behind the incredibly accurate sleep and activity tracker. She now volunteers on the Trails and Active Transportation Committee in Collingwood, Ontario, to help spread the word of nature and activity. Please welcome my friend, Hannah Parrish. I was thinking about how we met, and of course the root of it was because of a love for the outdoors, because your partner Simon and I were working together on a charity event that involved hiking. It was called the Everest Challenge. And you were at one of the pre-events, Boston Pizza, and we instantly hit it off. Do you remember that? I do. I, I do. You like it was so funny because you came over and we were talking. I was just like, oh, this is a person I need in my life because you are just so incredible in every single way. I thought the same about you. It was like, were you talking about hiking? Were you talking about cycling? But our mutual love for the outdoors is what instantly connected us. Yes. And it's, you know, when you meet someone who feels the same way as you about something. And for us, it's the outdoors. It's just that instant connection. And it's funny because you can have, for me, Simon calls it my forest bathing, but it's like just my safe place, my happy place is the forest. And when I meet other people who feel that way, I can be rooted to trees and I instantly become rooted to those people as well. And you're one of those people. I know that mountain biking was something that, well, you used to race mountain biking, but was that connection as you raced through the forest? Like, do you remember how that felt and that connection? Is that why you loved it so much? Yeah, I grew up outdoors. I grew up in the forest. I have my stepfather to thank for that. And he has been just this guiding light in my life since I was 10. And it was all about the outside where we used to, you know, he took us on all sorts of adventures and And I remember when I first got on my first mountain bike, so many funny stories around sort of that, but it was the first time I was in my early twenties and it was the first time my brain turned off and I could just, I could just be in the forest and you could, you could feel for me, there was this, this flow that you could achieve. And my brain is something that always works is always going. And I've always had to kind of think my way through managing it. And, and it was just incredible that I think my attention, your attention is pulled to the forest around you. It's pulled to rocks and logs and trees and roots and, you know, stay safe and ride your bike and go fast. But then you just get this, I think, you know, runners get it when they talk through going through the wall. But for me, it's just my brain just turns off. And it's the only time I ride road bikes and gravel bikes and everything else. But still, my brain kind of like goes and does its thing. But in the forest, it's just like gone. And there's, there's just this freedom there, this just absolute intense connection to your surroundings and your body and breath. I love that description of flow. It's almost like some compare it to like a meditation almost. And do you think some of that has to do with like the technical effort? behind mountain biking that you have no choice but to pay attention? I think that's exactly it. It's 
it's paying attention to what is going through your body, what is coming. You know, I'm constantly coaching myself through here's how here's how you're going to approach this obstacle, whatever it is, or here's even the, the way the trail flows and moves over the ground. The way you ride the ground changes based on the type of trail you are. And you could just the ultimate connection to your bike and to your surroundings is when you can achieve that flow and things just kind of come magically. But it's never it's never magic, right? It's, it's always intentional. But when you have so much focus on that one thing where you understand what's happening with your feet and your legs and your arms and your body and your head and your jaw and your teeth and your mind and your eyes, that it's all connected and it just it just everything just falls away. And then you fall and you get off your bike and you curse and you get back on and that's called riding. But, you know, that's life. That's a great metaphor, right? Between like finding your flow and then falling off your bike and scraping your knee or breaking your arm and being like, guess I have to get back on and keep going. The number of times that things happen in, in a race and you just like, well, that's racing. It's never perfect. And, you know, whether it's it's life or business or the boardroom or being outside in the forest or just, you know, your water heater crashing out, like that's racing. Isn't it funny that you can draw that parallel? This, this is what I love is when you really find that thing that you love to do outdoors, and it can be multiple things, when you achieve, I don't even want to say like, you know, reach the peak, or if you want to say like you won that race, but even navigating that and realizing like I can do hard things almost translates into the rest of your life. The most rewarding thing that I have ever done is teach other women to ride a mountain bike. I remember years and years and years ago, I used to, to lead a bike club for women only in Toronto. And I remember clear as day, we were getting ready for a ride and I was sitting on the tailgate of my car, putting my shoes on. And one of the women who was in the club came over to me and she said, hey, you know, um, Hannah, I want to tell you something. I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, do you need help? You know, do you need tires pumped you whatever and she's like no no I actually want to I want to tell you something I was like okay what's up what's going on everything okay and she's like I went to my boss today and I asked him for a raise and I was like that's amazing good for you she's like no you don't understand she said when I started in this club with you in the springtime I was really afraid she said you know I knew this was something I wanted to learn how to do but I didn't know how to ride over logs and I didn't know how to we were riding in the Don Valley at the time. There was this one feature called the Big Dip. Just like I did, that was really scary to me. And she said, "You guys broke it down and and helped helped me get over it." She said, and I realized that if I could do that, I could do anything. And it was the confidence and the things that she had learned on the mountain bike that translated into her having the confidence to go and ask her boss for a raise. And what wasn't important was whether or not she got it, what was important was that she asked. And when we learn what we are truly capable of, we can go anywhere. And especially for women, it's such an important link between gaining that confidence, doing something outdoors, and how it translates to the absolute rest of your life. I don't know if you can even tell a better story about lifting other women up. And helping them connect a more with nature, with themselves. But 
tell me a little bit about how you started helping other women in mountain biking and what drew you to it, obviously, and how you feel about it now and like the most rewarding part about it. Because I feel like there is still a disconnect between women and like these harder naturey sports. Like I still feel like it's maybe not as accepted or they're you know, they're not good enough or like they're not like rough enough as men or they're not like tough enough or bold enough. I still feel like that is present in the outdoor community. Yeah, it's present in everything, right? It's present in life. There's seriously statistics right around this and, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but the story is right. If you look at job interviews and job applications, if a man looks at, at a job description says, oh, I got 40% of that. I'm going to go apply. Women, we look at it, we're like, if we had 90 or 90% or 100%, then we will apply for the next level job, right? Like, I don't know what it is. And I think that we as women have the opportunity to hold up other women. Mentorship is ridiculously important to me. It started for me through the bicycle. It actually started for me with so the this club called the Fly Girls, like in the early aughts. That was how I learned to ride a bike. And I was brought into this amazing group of women, some of whom are still my best friends, through literally someone, a woman that I deeply respect coming up to me and saying, hey, do you want to come ride with us? And there's there's power behind that. There's power behind that individual connection. You know, we know that 65% of women are more likely to ride a bike if they are asked to go individually by someone they know. You know, hey, Marianne, let's, let's go ride our bikes and get an ice cream, right? As opposed to putting it up on Facebook, I'm going to go get ice cream who wants to come. We know that 70% of people will volunteer eight hours or more for a, a nonprofit if asked individually. We know that 72% of people will donate $100 if asked individually. And there's something about this, you know, we started out talking about connections, right? There's something about this human connection that brings people into a space where they feel safe. And we can talk about sort of safety and, and some of my personal values as they've developed over time, but it comes from. It all starts with community and it started for me with the mountain bike is where I first found myself. And over time, I've realized the power of that human connection. And I don't remember the original question you asked me, but like, but it's truly Marianne, just like once we realize the power that we hold within ourselves and that it's okay to claim that power in a way that feels right for you in the bottom of your soul. That's something that is unstoppable. And as women, we need to encourage that in each other because I truly believe still to this day in society, it is not encouraged in us. And the more powerful women who say, I have this power inside of me and I see it in others, we will just continue to grow over time. Can you share with me some of your values that you have developed or grown over the years as well? You said you mentioned safety as well. What do you what do you mean by that? These are sort of my my three values and they transcend personal, they transcend professional. 
I have a I have a like a user manual, which is a silly thing to call it, but it's a page that I give to everyone who I work with when I first meet them. And it is a very vulnerable piece of paper that says, here's all the things you need to know about me. And here's all the things I'd love to know about you. And my personal values are where I root everything. And they are in order, safety, kindness, and candor. And I've spent a lot of my life trying to whittle it down to something that I can speak about succinctly. And I've read a lot of books and these sorts of things. And these will continue to, I'm sure, solidify and crystallize and, and evolve over time as, as I continue to grow and evolve as a human. But safety is psychological safety. It's that basic human need of recognizing that it's okay to make mistakes and that things happen and that no one gets out of bed in the morning wanting to be an asshole. And so sometimes if you are an asshole or if you do make a mistake or you do do something wrong, it's not intentional. It's just this thing that happens. And if you feel safely surrounded by people who understand that, then you can truly bring and be your true, whole, vulnerable self to whatever you're doing, whether that's to your family, whether that's to your race team, whether that's to your work. And it is the responsibility of all of us to create this incredibly safe psychological space around us to draw people in and to, to make sure that everyone feels that way. My second value is kindness. If you are kind to people, if you make a choice every day to say, I am going to be kind, that means putting the other person first. It is practicing empathy from a place of everyone deserves to know that they are valued. That's to me what kindness is. And when you have that safe psychological space and you do your best to be kind, never works out perfectly for anyone, see rule number one, then the third piece is, is candor. Because if you are in this safe space and you are always putting other people first, you're being that kind human, then you can also be truthful and honest. You can show up truly vulnerably, which means that you can say, hey, Tommy, what you said yesterday hurt my feelings and here's why. You can say, I love that presentation that you gave and I might next time tweak it a little bit. You can say, I'm feeling not very strong today to your race team, so I may need to depend on you all to carry me a little bit. Or I'm feeling really strong, everybody depend on me. When you put those three things together, it's a way of living and interacting with other humans that treats everyone like humans. You know, if people are listening, they're like, I've heard a lot of this before. It's like, yep, if you want to learn more, go read Brene Brown, go read Adam Grant, go read. We both come from the school of Brene Brown. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, this is not unique. I'm not, I'm not that brilliant, but I've put it together in a way for me that makes sense that at least I can connect with it. And to be honest with you, it's work every day to live according to those values. And when I'm 
feeling like I can't hold up my end of the bargain, I have to go outside. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. This would be a good chance to ask you about that daily routine and that must, even like before we were, I hit record, we were chatting about, we're recording around the time, it's been what, two years since the pandemic started? And we were talking about how easy it was to just kind of stay inside and to grind it out and hide our feelings. But we can really recognize when we have it, when you're the type of people that just need to that do connect with nature or wanting to connect with nature, you really notice a difference when you don't have it, when it's not present in your life. That's when you notice, right? Yeah. So when the pandemic hit for me, Simon and I had just finished building a house in in Collingwood, luckily. And we've lived up here for years and years, but we, at the time I was living in, in Toronto, he was living up here and Gosh, I remember because I was working in a customer facing everyday role. And I was sitting there in our, our customer service center watching the prime minister, hearing the word pandemic and not even knowing what that meant. And just like the stress and the heat. Like for me, it's heat, right? It starts in your stomach and it kind of comes up through your lungs and along your arms and then up through the back of your neck. And you're just like, everything starts to get tense and hot. And you're just like, what is going on? And it was St. Patrick's Day when we finally said, that's it, we're closing the office. And everybody is. We had sent most people home sort of the Thursday, Friday before. And our last sort of frontline customer service, we said, that's it, we're closing. Everybody go home on St. Patrick's Day. And I remember sort of packing my cat in the car and a number of stuff from the house in Toronto and and driving up north and thinking about like, what am I going to do? Because I'm, I'm scared. Everyone was scared. Nobody knew what this meant. And there was part of me that was like, yay, three weeks off work. This is going to be great. (laughs) Little did we know. But I thought to myself, I was leading sort of operations for a large group of people at the time. And I thought, I got to show up for them every day. And I got to know what's going on. And I got to make sure that I am grounded. So how do I do that? And I was like, I have to to get outside. Because if I'm going to keep my proverbial water jug full for them, then I've got to do it for myself too. And so I remember clearly we had green beer that night. (laughs) I made Simon go out and get green food dye because I was like, we have to keep celebrating the little things. And I got up the next morning and I went for a run. 
And I've always been a morning exercise type of person. Like you come to me at four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm like, no, (laughs) this is not going to happen. But four o'clock in the morning, I'm like, yeah, let's go. And so I got up in the morning and I went for a run and I just started to breathe. I just started to look down the trail that I was running. And it was incredible to me how things just started to settle. And I forced myself in those first three weeks to get out almost every single day. And it was, you know, it's zero, two degrees. And you're like, how am I doing this? And I've now figured out that my favorite temperature to run in is like minus 10. But it has been this thing that has continued to grow with me over time. And there are days when I wake up and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go. And some days I make myself go and some days I don't. Some days I'll go for a ski. Some days I cross country ski and there's some great places up here. Some days I'll go for a paddle because it's just way, way too hot. I do not do well in, in the heat. Some days I'll go for a bike ride, but it's get outside first thing in the morning. And I don't do it every day. If I'm lucky, I'll, I'll get out four or five days in a week. But on those weeks when I am out more often, it makes an incredible difference to how I can show up for other people how I can create that calm, safe, kind space for others and for myself, right? We often have to forgive ourselves as much as we forgive others. And I know when I've got something tough coming, I'm going to have a hard conversation at work today. I'm going to have whatever. I force myself to get up and go. Even yesterday, midday, you know, I'd had a couple of tough conversations and I was starting to feel that red hot sort of just heat in my belly. And I'm like, okay, off we go. And I was like, yeah, I have a lot of work to do, but I'm going to go for a run. And, you know, I come from the racing background where, you know, it was always further, harder, faster. And I've learned to give myself grace of the important pieces just to get outside and to give yourself whatever time you take or need, short, long, fast, slow. I now have a dog who I run with. And when he looks up at me mid trot, with just, I swear to God, he's smiling. You know, these these things make a difference. It, it's the power of fresh air and the power of movement, body movement, whether you're walking, running, riding, paddling, whatever works for you, just finding that rhythm and the fresh air just makes a difference. I would put you in the high performer, high achiever category. Not anymore. <laughs> But even in in your career as well, you've you've navigated. Like I know that you had a different job when we had met, but you're now the director of international strategy and business operations for Aura Ring. And as a total data nerd, I appreciate this. Like I'm on the garments. I like I have a Garmin, but like I understand how data can like help fuel you sometimes negatively, but. <laughs> If you're really, really competitive with yourself, but for the most part, it provides you with information on how you're actually doing, right? And it connects that like, oh, I'm feeling off today. Like, oh, because I got four hours of sleep. Can you explain? Well, actually, I want to know more a little bit about Oring and how you made the transition from your last job to this one and how it all kind of wraps up in a nice little, nice little mental health bow. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So when the pandemic started, I was head of operations in Ontario for Lyft and, and that I was lucky enough to, to grow over time to take on the entire Canadian operation. And so that what I talked about in terms of that, like, I got to show up for myself in order to, to show up for others was 
a major thing. And then you start to add things like time differences on top of that. And I'm someone who's, to me, sleep is is very important. I've always been a champion sleeper. But if I don't get my sleep, it has a major impact on me. And I started to just realize that I need to be able to keep myself accountable to keep my mental health. And for me, it was the responsibility to others that was really driving my focus on on my own mental health. And it it was, I guess, sort of the first Christmas into the pandemic when I had first started to hear about Aura Ring. And I've always been someone who I love data. I love to see what my baselines are. I love to see the impact of, of small changes. I'm luckily not a person who feels incredibly beholden to those numbers. But if I am in a training block, which I'm not and have <laughs> anymore, you know, I remember back, if you put me in a training block and you put a Wahoo, I ride Wahoo right now in front of me and just like, you have to hold this wattage for 20 minutes, I'll just do that and I'll just stare at a number. So I understand that mentality as well. But I started to hear about the aura ring and I started, what I was wanting to do was keep myself accountable to the two things I knew that kept my mental place in check. And that was quality sleep. And sleep truly is the foundation of everything. So quality sleep and morning movement outside. And what I realized was that the aura ring was something I could wear on my finger every day. It passively would track how my sleep was going. And it would give me a sense of of where my my movement was. And I needed that extra piece because I was starting to make choices that I didn't realize the impact that they were having. And by choices, I mean just things like the time of day that I would eat, or frankly, we all probably can relate to this, how much I was drinking (laughs) at the beginning of the pandemic. And when you start to see the impact that half a beer has on your sleep, let me tell you, you start to see alcohol in a different way. So yeah, so I ordered an order ring and it came and I started to see the data. And I started to make changes in my life based on that data and how it affected my sleep. And I got really into it. And, you know, through a series of fortunate conversations, realized that Aura Ring was looking for someone to help them really think about what their international operations looked like, what their approach to the rest of the world was going to be. And I felt uniquely suited to do that. So I called them up and had some great conversations and was, you know, to our conversation earlier about job descriptions, terrified the entire way. But it was something that it was a product that I truly believed in. It's a product that has really helped me maintain balance in my life. It's something that I wake up to every single day and I look at and make changes with. And, you know, it's great. Simon wears one now and we talk about our scores in the morning and it, it changes, you know, like if I wake up to a really low score, he's especially gentle with me that day and, and right back at him it's actually helped our relationship as well. So that's awesome. You're like, I'm a 10. I'm a 10 today. I got nothing for you. I'm sorry. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So yes, I've been fortunate enough to, to make that transition. And it was, it was really for me, helping me really track my mental health and my, my belief in 
making the right choices. And now I've got, let's be honest, Marianne, I've got the best job in the world. That is such a like, like you were so positive when I first met you anyway. And I know that you really enjoyed your job or at least parts of your job. But the fact that you called them up and said, I have ideas, and then they hired you. Like, I don't know. I don't hear that story very, very often. It was a series of fortunate events. And luck favors a prepared mind. So I'm writing that down. I feel like I'm Brene Brown right now. Say that again. I'm writing that down. Hold on a second. Luck favors a prepared mind. It's this philosophy that, you know, people are like, oh, I was so lucky. I was so lucky. It's like, yeah, you were. But what did you do to even recognize that there was an opportunity there, that, that you were lucky? To me, luck isn't winning the lottery. Luck is being in the right place at the right time, but realizing that you're in the right place at the right time. You have to show up and be there to accept the luck that you get. And I was in a position and in a place where I loved working at Lyft. Like the people were amazing. The job was incredible. If you haven't figured it out by now, I love bikes and bicycles and active transportation. And it is my North Stars to get more women on bikes. And that's why I went to Lyft because we were getting cars off the road. We were helping with different ways of active transportation. And I realized that I was also needing something else. And coming to Oring, having that conversation was, you know, you follow your passions, you realize there's something that you could do, and then you tell stories and you have the right conversations. And you don't wait for someone to realize that you exist, but you put your hand up and you say, hey, I can do this. So not only, for example, did I apply to the job, but I also sent an email to the CEO said, I can do this. Here's why. They originally kind of said, well, we don't have anyone who works for us in Canada. So we're going to, you know, like that's a challenge for us. And so I had to tell a story about why it made sense to have a non-American run an international division as opposed to someone else. I had to tell those stories. So I am incredibly lucky to have this incredible job. And I worked really hard to get it. Did you mention that it saved your relationship? <laughs> the power of the aura ring is strong. For the record, this is not an ad for aura ring, but like I'm, I'm realizing, right? I'm like, maybe I should get one. Knowing that, again, you said not right now, but knowing that you're a high achiever, do you have maybe phasing out of this pandemic. I don't know. I have, I have no predictors on this other than things dropping, right? And the mandates dropping. But now that things are going in that direction, do you have your sights on any races? Do you have any goals? Do you have like, what is that looking like for you? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I'm terrified of some of the commitments that I've made because for me, you have to understand, even racing is for me, like it's, it's serious business, right? You don't, just race. You have to train for it. And I prefer to play versus train. So, you know, I have to put myself in that in that headspace. I have a very good friend who I basically want to be when I grow up. And she has this wonderful habit of taking on these audacious challenges. And she turned to me about six months ago and said, you know, she's got a big birthday coming up. And she said, for my big birthday, I want to go and do the Ironman in New Zealand. Maybe I said I'd do it with her. 
that's fine. This is fine. Yeah. I am no longer going to race for a prize. I am going to participate in events that I find truly awesome. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go do an eight hour mountain bike race, hopefully with a bunch of women who I've gotten to know up here and who I hope to get to know a lot better because I think they're just incredible, amazing humans. And I'd be lucky enough to spend eight hours with them, like riding around in circles. That'd be really cool. There's something about like the race community that's really sort of tight and exciting. But for me, movement and being outside every single day is more and more and more about happiness and not achievement. Thank you for being such an advocate for women, specifically in mountain biking, but also just an inspiration, like reminding us how it doesn't always have to be about numbers. It doesn't always have to be about getting first place or being on the podium. I think I think of anything that the last couple of years has taught us is just simply about what makes us feel good and what are we drawn to and what what makes us better and what makes us grow, what makes us connect to nature, each other, our, like ourselves, right? I'm pretty sure I just quoted that from the actual like bio of this podcast is. I appreciate this conversation so much. And honestly, like you are the epitome of, of what this is all about. Right back at you. Thanks for listening. For more, let's take this outside. Go to ivisonvoice.com slash podcast. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.